Hey, this is Rupa. I'm working on something for you that's taking a little bit longer than expected. So to give me some time, I'm making this episode pretty simple. It's one guy's straightforward immigrant story. But it's not an immigrant story you're used to hearing. Our protagonist, Jimmy O. Yang, isn't an overachiever. He didn't overcome huge obstacles. And he can be kind of raw and crude at points. Of course, when you're like 21, 22, you wanted to get laid, like at a strip club. But he's honest and brave because Jimmy put his story in a book where his Asian parents could read it. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. Jimmy's story starts in Hong Kong, where he grew up. One day, he and a bunch of other kids were at this media event where they were testing out ping pong tables that adjusted to different heights. The news cameras were drawn to Jimmy. Because I was super cute and I had like really good form and like my facial expressions, my body movement would look very professional. You can put me in like a ping pong movie. The news people asked Jimmy back for a full in-studio interview and Jimmy nailed it. This was when I was in, I don't know, like probably like fifth grade or something. Everybody in school, everybody in my family thought like I'd made it. I was like the golden boy. They thought he was a ping pong star. Which is very serious, okay? It's, it's not a frat house sport. It's like the NFL. But then he actually had to compete at like the state championship level. I lost to like a local, like no-name kid, like 21 to 3. It was like really, really embarrassing. And I started like, crying. That part wasn't on TV. But the word got out, like, this kid ain't got no skills. He just looked pretty good. I became, like, the laughingstock of of, uh, the local Hong Kong ping pong community. His glory days were over. Jimmy understood he was a fraud. In other words, an actor. Jimmy doesn't know why his parents gave him the name Jimmy. They just say they like the sound of it. All of them have Western nicknames. Jimmy's dad was Richard because he wanted to be rich. His mom was Amy because it was close to Ami, her Chinese name. And Jimmy's older brother was Roger. But Roger thought that was a stupid name, so he changed it to Roy because he thought that was better. They moved to L.A. when Jimmy was 13. His grandparents had already been living there for 10 years in a squat apartment building that looked stunted to young Jimmy, who was used to the skyscrapers of Hong Kong. My first day in America, my grandpa took me and my dad to a a very fancy Mexican-American restaurant called El Pollo Loco. It was a 45-minute march to the fast food place that Jimmy's grandpa kept saying was just 15 minutes away. It was Jimmy's first ground-level look at America. And he had revelations, like when they passed a Pizza Hut. Pizza Huts in Hong Kong are like gourmet restaurants. They serve like seafood pasta, and I think they have like a souffle soup. It's like really fancy stuff. But then I walked by the American authentic Pizza Hut, and it was just a hole in the wall with a pizza oven. So I was like really sad about that. But at Pollo Loco, America was redeemed by the free unlimited salsa bar. I mean... Like, why would you ever go buy cilantro in the supermarket if you can just go pick up free pre-chopped cilantros in El Pollo Loco? It was mind-blowing, right? And it was my first day in America, and I thought this was just 
American freedom to the max. The next day was Jimmy's first day of school. He imitated the other kids when it came time to say the Pledge of Allegiance, standing with his hand over his heart. But he wondered if somehow he'd wandered into some kind of cult. Jimmy searched for other Chinese kids to be friends with, but there weren't any at that school. In hindsight, he says that's good. It forced him to assimilate. He ended up hanging out with a kid he describes as a Mexican Bart Simpson. He developed his first crush on a skinny white girl who he followed closely at recess, but never talked to. At home, he learned how to talk and act by watching TV, one channel in particular. Black entertainment television, which became, quickly became my favorite channel. BET taught Jimmy American culture, American stereotypes. Like, I didn't know, like, black people and white people did different things because in China or in Hong Kong, everybody was just Asian and we all kind of did the same thing. Like, I didn't know black people had bad credit, like, according to those black comics, and white people do white people stuff like skiing and, like, parachuting and, like, bungee jumping. I had no idea about these, like, stereotypes, but it was so interesting to me. By the time Jimmy went to high school, he was talking and acting as much as possible like a gangster. Jimmy's dad registered Jimmy with his grandpa's address so he could go to school in that coveted zip code, 90210, Beverly Hills High School. I was getting a 4.0 GPA cruising through high school because in American high school, they were teaching me stuff that I learned in like Hong Kong elementary school already. So it was like I had this like easy grade scam going. But I was at the same time, I was trying to be like gangster and I was trying to rap. He actually put out some albums with his friends. Things were good. And then, for the first time in his young life, Jimmy experienced loss. It was pretty sad, you know. I, I think I learned to cope with it. His nuclear family had always been tight. They'd had to be, especially in Hong Kong, where the apartments were tiny. But as individuals, they'd had different reactions to the U.S. Jimmy's mom, Amy, never got used to it. She wasn't happy. Not everybody you know, can um, assimilate the way we all want. So when Amy got a dream job in Shanghai, she moved away. Jimmy was 15. He felt betrayed. He wouldn't even talk to his mom on the phone. In hindsight, it allowed me to become more independent, become my own man, because I don't think I would have done what I have done if my mom, you know, didn't leave. I would have just kind of obeyed the Chinese laws, the Chinese rules, and be a good son. I would have probably been an accountant or something like that. Looking back, it, it might have been a blessing in disguise. If Jimmy's mom leaving was a blessing in disguise, it was a really, really good disguise, especially at first. Jimmy didn't make it into UCLA like his older brother or any of the colleges his parents had moved to the States hoping he'd get into. So he chose UC San Diego without ever visiting it, thinking it'd be nice being by the beach. But I'm not a surfer. I can barely swim. Like, I hate the ocean. Like, I don't know why I chose UC San Diego. There were lots of Asian kids on campus, and Jimmy didn't like the sudden feeling of being lumped in with them. He was used to being different, so he tried to be the opposite of them. Um, so I just started smoking a lot of weed and became like a stoner, because at least being a stoner gave me an identity, right? Like, 
being a stoner made me more than just an Asian kid or more than just a scared kid that's, you know, living away from home for the first time. I became a part of the stoner community, and that's how I found my first family outside of my family. That discovery required sacrifices, though. He got really bad grades, and his mechanical engineering major suddenly seemed an immense task. I soon switched majors because I'm like, if I'm smoking this much weed, it will take me at least seven years to finish a mechanical engineering major. So I ended up switching my major to uh, economics, which is actually the easiest major that's still approved by Asian parents. I love how he says that, like, there's some Asian parent governing body out there issuing rulings. Anyway, after college, his dad got him an internship at Smith Barney. So that's like the holy grail for every Asian parent. At first, he felt like a baller hanging out with high rollers. Pretty soon, though, he just hated it. Every minute of it. And I just had, like, recurring nightmares and panic attacks about I'll die on this desk. Like, I'll be working here for 60 years, have nothing to show for it, and die. And then one day, Jimmy came home from his internship to the Chinese retirement community his dad Richard had moved to. And his dad was bursting with news. A friend at Smith Barney had told Richard they were going to offer Jimmy a job. I've never seen him so happy. Like, literally, tears of joy was about to like come out of his face. But I was devastated, right? Because I, I just see my life, like, basically it was like a prison sentence for me. So later the same day, Jimmy told his dad he couldn't do it. And he was like, wait, what? Like, do you have another job lined up? Like, what are you trying to do? I'm like, dad, I don't know. I just don't want to do this. And I'd already started doing stand-up, so I told him about maybe I'll pursue, you know, a career in comedy, in stand-up comedy, and he had no idea what that meant. We never saw stand-up comedy in Hong Kong. So he's like, what what is that? You can't make money from that. That's not a job. You should go find a real job. As it happens, Jimmy found two. One job was as a doorman at a place that was a Greek restaurant by day and a comedy club at night. Jimmy tried stand-up there, but most of his jokes were about masturbation, and his scant audiences heckled him more than they laughed. Jimmy's second job was as a used car salesman. Selling like crappy Dodge Neons to people with bad credit, that's what we specialized in. So it wasn't, we didn't need much salesmanship. Our catchphrase was, either you buy our Dodge Neon or you go take a bus. Fast forward a bit, and we get to one of Jimmy's X-rated stories. He's changed the names here to protect the innocent, meaning himself. For the sake that I don't get stabbed. One night, a local gangster came into the Greek restaurant slash comedy club. We'll call him Shooter. Shooter was in his 60s, had a mohawk, and owned a strip club. Jimmy asked him for a job. I got a job, which was like a dream job of mine as a young, impressionable 21-year-old. I got a job as a strip club DJ at like the most seedy strip club in San Diego. It was called Fantasy Showgirls, and it was run by gangsters. Everybody at the club had nicknames earned in prison. The bouncer's name was Beast. Because he just looked like a beast, and he was in the Aryan Brotherhood back in prison. So I'm sure he wasn't too hot on me working there. Another guy, the bar manager, his name was Chef, and he was always talking about how he had lost one big toe. Which is like the most gangster thing. And then one night, my curiosity almost killed me. Like I, I asked him, I'm like, so how, Chef, how did you lose your big toe? 
And he looked like dead in my eyes. He was like, diabetes. <laughs> Shooter came to trust Jimmy like family. He said sales went up 44% when Jimmy became the DJ. Jimmy took that as a high compliment. He saw the DJ job as a natural next step after selling used cars and doing some stand-up, even though he was pretty bad at both. A strip club DJ job was perfect for me. And, and I always like, try to treat the girls really nicely. But of course, when you're like 21, 22, you wanted to get laid like at a strip club. I'm just going to let Jimmy tell this part. And that never happened with me. I never had sex with any of the strippers. First of all, I was very scared of Shooter and Beast and Chef. Second of all, like I was being like too professional in the strip club. I was friend zoned by the strippers because I was too nice. I had a crush on this stripper named Paige and she was like the cutest, like just normal looking like college girl, you know? And like, only later did I find out she had a boyfriend. And then I talked to Shooter about it as if like he's my college roommate. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sad that Paige has a boyfriend. You know, like I, I think she was really cool. And then Shooter told me, don't trust anything that comes out of that girl's mouth because she's a pathological liar. I'm like, what? No, she's not. How do you know that? And Shooter's like, yeah, because I had sex with her before. And like my world was just like crushed in front of me. Jimmy slowly realized that this was actually a really sad time in his life. Like 21-year-old kid that grew up watching BET now working in a gangster-ass strip club. That sounds like the dream. But really, I soon realized people that worked there, n none of them wanted to work there. They wished they had a job at Smith Barney, you know? There was one day in particular that he remembers as a turning point. It was Christmas Day, and I worked at a strip club. That's not even the worst part. That's just the beginning of the story. There were no customers, so Chef, the barman, and Beast, the bouncer, had decided to close early when two college kids came in. And they're like, hey, on your Yelp page it says you close at 2, man. What the hell? Why are you guys closed at 12 o'clock? This is not cool. And then Beast was like, just leave. Just get out. We don't need this right now. So they're like, no, man, that's not cool, man. We're going to give you guys a bad Yelp review, like as we cared about Yelp reviews. The college kids started leaving slowly, but still talking trash. And the next thing I know, Beast went up to Chef and was like, Chef, let's go. And then they grabbed like weapons. Like, like Chef grabbed this like antique two by four table leg and then they just rushed out there. And the next thing I know, I came out there like, like Beast had this one kid in the chokehold and then Chef was beating the other kid with this two by four. And I just saw my life flash in front of me because in a way, I'm basically those two college kids, right? So I just had a moment, I'm like, this is not cool, man. And then I just remember when, when, when the kids literally like limped away, Chef gave it another shot to the ribs. And then he was like, don't walk, mother run. It sounded like the most gangster thing ever. And for the first time, Jimmy thought that was a bad thing. And uh, I quit. I quit the strip club the next day. Shooter didn't make it easy. He kept trying to convince me, like, hey, you know, kid, like, I really wanted to, for you to, like, run, run my clubs and basically take over my empire. He put all of his things in his car and moved to L.A. Jimmy tried to break into acting and was penniless, desperate, depressed and rejected until he started getting small parts, like on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. His dad, Richard, scoffed at acting. Richard told Jimmy it was so easy, he could do it. So Jimmy set his dad up with his agent. 
And Richard turned out to be really successful. He got all kinds of roles, including one on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, one of Jimmy's favorite shows. And Jimmy couldn't help feeling jealous. He asked Richard if he could audition for the same part, and the show gave the role to Jimmy after Richard said it was okay. The subject was perfectly ready to believe he'd learn Mandarin in two days. Oh, thanks. See? Again, this is complete gibberish. Jimmy was still driving for Uber when he got a casting call for a new HBO show. They wanted a native-born Asian to play an Asian tech geek who speaks in a thick accent. It was Jimmy's big break. He got the part of Jin Yang on Silicon Valley. I eat a fish. I understand you eat the fish. But when you clean the fish, you can't just leave the fish head and guts and shit in the sink because the whole house smells like a bait station. So you got to put it in the trash and then take the trash out. Do you understand? Yes, I eat the fish. Mother Jimmy didn't mind doing an accent, unlike some other actors of color, like Aziz Ansari. Because I was an immigrant. I was the kid with an accent. And... It's snobby, and to me, it doesn't even make sense that you, you're going to say you don't want to play a character with an accent. Because there's real people like that that exist. So I've always almost find that insulting to me personally, because you're saying you look down at those people. You're saying that I'm better than them, and I don't want to be associated with them. My job is not avoid playing immigrant characters. My job is to make these immigrant characters funny to make these immigrant characters sexy so my fellow immigrant brothers can get laid. (laughs) Jimmy has a lot more stories, many X-rated, and he'd always wanted to write all his stories down and put them in a book. So after starring in Patriot's Day with Mark Wahlberg, and while filming Crazy Rich Asians in Singapore, Jimmy wrote one. It's called How to American, An Immigrant's Guide to Disappointing Your Parents. Recently, Jimmy's dad, Richard, started reading it. And to my surprise, actually, after he read the first chapter, he called me, he was like, this is actually really good writing. Like, I'm surprised, like, this is great. So I was like, hey, thanks, dad. So I was really happy about that. And then actually the next day, which was actually yesterday, he called me. He was like, Jimmy, the more I read this, the more I'm not okay with this. And it was just like a really, really hard phone call. But I knew it was coming. Like, they're like seriously like not happy about it because my my mom was going to take a couple of these books to Shanghai to her relatives. And now they don't want to take it because I talked about my dad having like mounting credit card debts and my mom struggled with the English language. Richard didn't like things like Jimmy describing the grandpa smell in his grandparents' apartment. He didn't like Jimmy portraying them all as a dysfunctional family. Richard said it was disrespectful. And in a weird way, that conversation was kind of symbolic of the whole book. Because it's about how Jimmy's whole life, he's weighed how much he should respect his parents and his culture against how much he can be his American self. Which culture do I recognize more? Do I want to live in? Like the Chinese culture was strict. You got to respect your parents. You got to deal with, you know, your parents being mad at you, disappointed at you, and my, you know, my parents' pride and things like that. Or do I live in a very independent, 
American spirit where I can go do whatever I want and uh, go be a stand-up comedian and write a book. So it's, it, it's tough teetering between the two. And I think most immigrants of any background can relate to that. That's why I really want to talk about it for my own therapy and as well for other people so they don't feel so crazy about themselves because that was one of the hardest part of my life. It's like, what should I be doing? Because the world is pulling me in one direction, but my family's pulling me in the other direction. And there's always that guilt. I think sometimes being an artist just means that you have to disappoint your parents for a few years or many, many years until hopefully you make it and they come around. My next book could be talking about how disappointed my dad is in this book, in my first book. (laughs) You may have noticed I haven't said the word Trump this whole episode, and I'm sorry to spoil it, but I had to ask Jimmy what publishing a book like this now means. I mean, can you write a book about being an immigrant and not be making a statement about the current administration's immigration policy? Yes or no, Jimmy's going to try it. He says he doesn't want to be political. He just wants people to know who immigrants are and what they experience. And I respect that. It's a big enough deal, writing a book about things most kids would never want their parents to know about them. I couldn't do it. So here's to Jimmy, who at 30 years old will be on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert this week to plug his new book. Otherhood's on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter. Lots of you got in touch after the last episode, and I really appreciate it. Send all your ideas my way. They end up being the best episodes. For now, thanks a lot for listening. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this has been Otherhood from PRI.